First Peter chapter four. We come to a very important passage. It really is the fulcrum or the or the, the, the meat of first Peter. As we look back several weeks ago, we were in first Peter chapter three. And if you start there in verse 18, the scripture says, For Christ also have once suffered for sins, for the just, uh, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is eight souls, were saved by water, the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not from the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in the lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot. Speaking evil of you, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? For, for, for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. Lord, help me to preach tonight in accordance to your will, guide my lips. And help me in to do to do what is right with this passage. And we pray in the Lord Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So I want you to notice there in chapter four, verse one, God here tells us, as he's speaking here about suffering, the suffering of these people was a true and sincere suffering. It was a suffering that came in the form of persecution. And it was a suffering that came in a country, in a land where persecution was allowed um, in its extreme forms. You know, we live in America today and it's when you're not allowed to take a Christian and beat him. You're not allowed to take a Christian, uh, a Christian lady and ravage that lady because she's a Christian. You know, there's lands where you can do that. Lands in our world where you can do these things. It's allowed and in some places encouraged. It's a sad thing. It's a very sad thing. We live in America today. And in our country at this time, that type of persecution isn't allowed. Now remember what persecution is. Persecution is using any means... To get another person to shut up. Persecution is using any means to keep another person from being able to express what that, what he or she believes. And so, when we talk about persecution in America, 
We face this persecution just the same. And the way in which we face it is that people speak evil of us. And how many of you like people speaking evil of you? How many of you like to go to work and you're the Christian and the other folks there, uh, they whisper about you, they talk about you, and not how nice you are, but they talk about you meanly and disparagingly. You guys love that? <laughs> Aaron, I believe maybe you do. Well, here's the amazing thing. That's exactly what God is saying here. He's saying similar things when He says, Count it all joy when people persecute you and speak against you. He says that in this world you will have persecution. To live for Christ is to mean that others are going to do things to get you to shut up and to not express what you believe about Christ. In fact, they are going to try to get you not only to stop expressing what they believe about Christ, but to live as they do in their idolatry and revelings. We'll get to that in a minute. But I want you to notice in verse 18. Because when the Scripture says in chapter 4, verse 1, for as much, we have to figure out what is... What is we, what are we going back to? What are we trying to determine? What comparison is being made? Uh, what glue is being brought together to give us this verse? And it goes back to verse 18. He says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins. <laughs> the Lord Jesus Christ gave himself on the cross and suffered for sins. In Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2, we hear looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus Christ took our sin upon himself. And he's trying to bring a full circle of evangelism for us in, the, in this passage. Starting with the fact that we were evangelized and to understand that though others are doing those things that we once did and they're speaking evil of us, the Lord Jesus Christ died for them as well. And though they persecute you now, one day, they may be your brother or sister in Christ. And so he says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just, Jesus Christ is just, for the unjust, we are the unjust. What Jesus did, what Jesus has always done, is that which is right legally, which is right morally. Jesus has never ever done wrong in any way uh, when it comes to uh, when it comes to the reality of right and wrong. He's never done wrong. He's always done right. Right? Do you believe that? Jesus has never sinned, never once. What he does, what he declares, is always right. He is just. If God does something, it is right. If God does something, it's right. 
I remember we learned in Sunday school this morning. We can, uh, there are people who look at God and say, God, He's unjust. God, He is a mean and wicked God. If God exists, then He is a vindictive, sadistic. These are words that I've heard people talk about my God. And such pride exudes from them. Because as they say these things, they are declaring, I'm just and God's not. Here's the problem with that. They know nothing. God knows everything. Right? And so people look at the the sinfulness of this world and the wickedness of this world and then the tragedies of this world and they say, God's got to be a bad guy if He's going to do and allow these things. No, God is just. And He knows what's right. Right? When we see death and suffering in the world, the response that a person ought to have is this. One day I'm going to die too. And as Christians were taken in the Roman world and collected and killed, the response of the mob should not have been cheers. It should have been, though I might not be the one on the cross or on the pole being burned, though I might not be the one who is brought into the lion's den to be eaten, even if I live a hundred more years and am able to eat steak and potatoes every day, One day I'm going to die. And then what? And we could look at the suffering of Christians around the world today and say, what's wrong with God? Here's what's right with God. He wants everyone to be saved. And where the most persecution is, I believe there is the most opportunity for a person to be saved. Because as they see the Christians suffer and die for what they believe in, that person who's doing the very thing is going to have to face this reality. One day I'm going to die too. And if that Christian's right, I am dead. And that's true. Did you know there are, there have been many, not most, by even, not by any stretch of the imagination, But many jihadist Muslims have come to know the Lord. An amazing thing. And this is what Peter is trying to encourage people with. When we live our life for Christ, we are going to suffer persecution. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter three. Paul says here to his dear friend Timothy in verse ten. In verse one, we have this most apt verse for our day. This know also that in the last days perilous dies, perilous times shall come. And then in verse 10 he says, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, 
what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. But out of them all the Lord delivered me. And so it's interesting that he starts there in Antioch. You know why he starts there in Antioch? That's where it all began. That's where his home church was. He faced persecutions there in the Iconium, Lystra. In fact, everywhere Paul went, he faced these things, whether it be jail or beatings. They even beat him so bad with stones that they thought he was dead. Somehow he got up, went to the next town and preached the gospel there. And guess what? He even went back to where they stoned him with stones. In verse 12, he says this very pointed, and it's, it's a hard verse for us to try to grasp its meaning. Because we want to try to figure out a way to say this means something different from what it plainly says. It says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And so how are we going to be able to get around that one? And if we're not being persecuted, if we're not being if things are not happening to get us to shut our mouth and to stop expressing Christ, and that's ultimately what persecution is, and whatever land you live in, the persecution is going to be as far as it is allowed. That's why when a person bakes a cake or refuses to bake a cake in expression of his faith in Christ, and it goes before the courts to where they can enact new laws, which, by the way, our country was never a place where laws were to be enacted. But laws that have been made in cities like Seattle, in states like Colorado, and the courts say, well, your laws are okay. Uh, a man has to do certain things, even though it goes against what he believes. You can bank on it. That is persecution. And if that is allowed, I want to ask you a question. Will that be the only instance? Or will it continue and even more fervently? We know the answer to that, right? It is only so long before it comes to our town, right? Because persecution is going to be as intense as the law allows, as the society allows. And in our country, it is minimal because killing people in our country for expressing what they believe is against the law. Beating somebody because they believe something different is against the law. You can't do that. But if it were allowed, what would happen in America? That would happen, right? That would happen. You can't come into church with guns and shoot people up because they're Christians and be okay. You're going to be put in jail. You are going to go to jail for a long time. Right? It's against the law. But if these things are allowed, if you're allowed to put bombs in a church and you know you're going to get away with it or get a slap on the wrist, there's going to be a lot more bombs. And so in Egypt, you get a lot more bombs because it's a lot. But when more and more of these things come, the more and more persecution will intensify. But remember, persecution is ultimately this. Anything that is done to shut you up about what you believe. 
And so there's a great movement in our land today that said, that says this, Christians, we appreciate you. Express what you believe in the church. Don't ever express what you believe outside of it. Because we don't want that. We don't need that. And we don't want you around if you're going to do it. And so they begin to write op-eds in the newspaper. <laughs> they begin to write letters to the pastor. <laughs> I've had those. Why would you hang this on my door? <laughs> if you had only been home, we would have talked to you. Don't worry. And you begin to get these things, and why are they done? What is the express purpose? It is to get us to shut up. Now, as Christians, we should not be the persecutors of others, right? Now, what people are going to say is this. By you expressing what you believe, when I express what I believe, you're, you're persecuting me. No, I am telling you what is true. I'm not doing it in a way to de to, get to denigrate you. I will say that you're wrong, but I'm not going to call you names. I'm not going to say that you should not be allowed to do this. There's a big difference, right? But when it comes to the, the expression of ideas or understandings of truth, we as Christians, we tell, we say what it is that we believe to be true and we know it's true. We believe the scripture. We believe the gospel. We understand what it means for a person to be saved. We express these things. And when others express what they believe, it is important for us not to begin to use denigrating names. Because that's, that is wrong, isn't it? It's wrong. To do these things, to get others to shut up, that would be wrong. But here's the thing. Christian or those who name themselves as Christ rarely do these things. Those who do not name the name of Christ do it all the time. But guess which one's on the news? <laughs> the, the ridiculous people who are not Christians at all, in my opinion... They're the ones who are highlighted. And so, when the Scripture says, Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, what He is saying is this, if you're going to live godly, you are going to express Christ to the world. And what is the world going to do with that? You can be sure a lot of them are going to say, Shut up. Right? Get off my property. If you don't leave now, I'm going to shoot you. All the stupid things. Or they begin to, to denigrate God and denigrate Christians. This, if you can use the most F words, it doesn't mean you're right. Congratulations, you can use a lot of curse words. You're not right because of it. And yet, in our world today, it seems the one who's right is the one who can use the most curse words. But we need to remember, it is, a, it is being done to shut us up. Why do they kill Christians? Because they can, but it's ultimately to shut Christians up. <laughs> and in the Middle East today, 
the number of people who will even say that they're Christians in a poll has gone down significantly. Where in many Muslim nations today, there's less than 1% people who would even say in a poll that they're Christian. I personally believe that there's more than that there, but they're not even going to say it on a poll. By the way, would you? And so turn back with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. He says something here that seems to be very uneasing. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, you go back to verse 18, for Christ also has suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God. Why did He suffer? That He might bring us to God. Why did Christ suffer? So that He might bring us to God. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves. You know what that word arm yourselves means? If you were to use it in any other context, it would mean get a sword. (laughs) The word arm there is the same arms that would be used in the Second Amendment. You have the right to bear arms. There are literally liberal people who think that means these things. I don't know where they get that from. But arms means weapons. And when he says arm yourself, he's talking about weaponizing something. What are we weaponizing? Arm yourself likewise. Like who? Like Jesus, right? How did Christ arm Himself? For Christ also hath once suffered for sins. What was Christ's weapon? What was it? Suffering. Suffering not just for no reason. Suffering so that He might bring us to God. Remember, the weapon of our warfare is not swords. It is the truth. And when the truth is proclaimed, you'll face persecution. But why would we want to do that? Why would we want to put ourselves in a place to be called stupid? To be called backward? To be called all the names that are named for the Christian today? Why would we want to do that? Because it is by that that we can bring people to God. You with me? And it's happened throughout history. Verse 18 in chapter 3, For Christ hath also once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God. And again, he's speaking to Christians. That means the us was them and it's us today. But it's not them out there, right? When he says us, he's talking about the people in the church who are being persecuted the us disincludes the unsaved Gentiles outside. <laughs> and so we might think, uh, and if we're not careful, we might think that it is an us versus them thing. He's not saying that. 
He's saying, likewise with the same mind. He says, arm yourself likewise with the same mind. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Turn there to Philippians chapter 2 just for a moment. Philippians chapter 2, in verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in the fashion of a man, as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Why did he do that? So that He might bring us to God. So that He might bring us unto Himself. Chapter 4, verse 1, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For He that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. Now, what does that mean? Number one, it cannot mean the general suffering of the world. How many people suffer something in this world? We all do, right? There's sufferings that come from disease or from accidents. I remember I was almost in tears a few months ago. Uh, I had been playing catch with Riley and he threw one in the dirt and I flopped on the ground and hit my shoulder in a certain way and I thought everything was fine but that night I could not I could not get anything I was not comfortable in any way in anything I could not sleep I was almost in tears I was hurting so bad do you think I ceased from sin because I was suffering with a shoulder injury no I kept my wife up all night. She was like seven months pregnant. My poor wife. I was not thinking for her at all. I was thinking just for me. I was miserable. My poor wife. She's patient with me. But I was hurting. It was was bad. It can't be the general suffering of the world. What suffering are we talking about? The suffering that comes from persecution. If you notice back there in chapter 3, in verse 13, And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? But and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happier ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, that they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. And so it's not suffering generally. And by the way, it's not suffering that comes because we do wrong. If you steal from your work and they fire you, you're going to suffer. But are you going to cease from sin 
Because you've been fired from your job because you've been stealing? No, you got fired from your job because you were sinning. Right? It's not general, it's not the general suffering of the world. It's not the particular suffering of doing wrong, but it's suffering that comes when we live for Christ. You guys with me in that? And here's what he wants us to remember. For he that has suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. That word is rarely used in the scripture. It can be translated stopped or ceased. But in this instance, the, the, the best word that we might have in our, our English language is released. Released. When Jesus Christ died for us, He released us from the penalty of sin. He released us from the devastation that it will bring through hell. And we are free to live for Him. We are released from the bondage of sin so that we can freely live for Christ in a world that wants to take away that freedom in every way they can. And believe me, the world wants to take away that freedom in every way it can. And this is not new. You know, we look at our, our schools today and, and it's very hard for a person to go and express Christ in the school and not only face persecution from the, the people in school, they'll make fun of anybody. Man, much less a Christian. They'll make fun of the overweight, the person with glasses, the person with braces, um, the person who doesn't walk straight. They'll make fun of anybody in middle school or high school, right? Be a Christian. That, that's just another thing they'll make fun of you about. But that's not, if you start making fun of somebody who has a limp in school, the good teacher's gonna say, shut up! <laughs> You're not gonna do that in my school. They ought to do that. I don't know if they do that anymore. But if somebody makes fun of a Christian in school, isn't that likely that you're going to find some, some teachers that will give kind of an agreement in that and say maybe you shouldn't talk about Christ in school? Separate a student of church and state and all that, you know. And so very few people will express Christ in the open forum because even the authorities are going to say, well, maybe you shouldn't. Whether it be at work or at school or in government or any place else. But if people are going to tell us to stop, we need to have the mind of Christ, who even though they may speak evil of us, we live for Christ. Why? Because it is only by the expression of the truth of Christ in the Scripture that anybody can be saved. And so notice, as he goes on, he that had suffered in the flesh have been released from sin. In verse 2, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. When we, when you have trusted Christ as your Savior, you begin a new life with Him and the old things are gone. Notice the kind of things that he talks about in verse 3. For in, for the time past of our life may suffice us to wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excesses of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. 
This culture that is being spoken of here in 1 Peter, um, where the Jews were living outside of Israel and in the world of the Gentiles, it was a world of perpetual giving in to the extreme things of the flesh. And so as you read this, this, these things, this list, I don't want you to think of it as one and one and one. They all go together. They're all part of the same thing. Um, they're all part of, of the way in which people would so often live. And guess what? We live in that type of place too. Lasciviousness or extreme uh, giving in to the lust of the flesh. Uh, again, lust or, or the, the idea that there's something I want that my flesh wants, I'm going to, I'm going to give, to, give to it, whether it's alcohol or drugs or sex, um, excess of wine, the use of wine for drunkenness and what it leads to. And then he gets into these, these, uh, these two words, revelings and banquetings. I remember the first time I was reading through that and, and got to banquetings and I was like, oh no. <laughs> This can't be. Oh, all the, the potlucks at church and, and going out to dinner with my family or these bank, when, with turkey dinner? I can't have Thanksgiving anymore. <laughs> That's not what the word means particularly. Um, the word banquetings has to do with the way that the culture of the day was this. Let's, let's, guys, let's get together and let's drink a lot. And what that leads us to do, let's do it. And, uh, so they would, the, the revelings would be this. What a reveling, what reveling means is people would get together at home. They'd get drunk. They'd go out into the streets with their, with their booze and alcohol and they'd start walking to another place. And they'd find one of their buddies at another home, and they'd say, "Hey, man, come on out. We're getting drunk tonight. And we're gonna do. We're gonna take this world by a. We're gonna be a. We're just gonna take this town, and and uh, we're gonna we're gonna. It's gonna be our town tonight." And uh, they'd go to that house, and they'd drink some more, and they'd get the the folks in that house, and they'd go to the next house. Let me ask you this. That's. Pretty familiar in our world today. Before I knew Christ, revelings is what I live for. Getting together with friends and getting drunk and then going and finding other friends and getting them drunk, that was life. I looked forward to Friday and Saturday. And Sunday. I can't tell you how many classes I missed. Because I couldn't wake up the next day. This is what I lived for. And it was miserable. And then I came to know Christ. And it all changed. This is what he's saying. In the ceasing from sin. Is the ceasing from this need to live for the world and in fact to live in opposition to it. Because if you are going to come to know Christ and begin to stop your revelings and banquetings, not not the, again, not eating a nice meal with your family, 
but drunkenness and living for an, uh, these abominable idolatries. And this is this was what my life once was, and maybe some of you. But here's what he's saying. He's saying, if you're not going to live that way, people are going to not like you the way they used to. And have any of you have ever have you found that to be true in your life? And yet, who are the very people that we want to be saved? The very people that no longer like us because we won't go out boozing with them. Now they don't know that, but we do. Right? They think we've just become strange. We want them to know Christ. We want them to know the life that we have in Christ. You know, one of the silliest things that I've heard, I heard it as a young Christian, I continue to hear it today, is that if you want to get people saved, become like they are and go to the bar and get drunk with them. That's ridiculous. That's actually the opposite of what the Scripture says. There are many things that we ought to be willing to do to see people saved. But it is not to sin, right? Not to sin. Not to go back and do and be what we once were. And if we're not what we once were, it may and in fact will always, if we live godly in Christ Jesus, lead to persecution. People are going to say things to hurt us in order to get us to shut up. People have said things like, do not talk to me about Christ if you want to be my friend. Well, I want to be your friend. Come on now. And so in verse 5, we begin to move forward and we'll come to a close. Who? That's God. Or he'll be, he's the accounter. They're going to give account to him. Who shall give account to him? Who? These people who speak evil of you. Uh, verse 4, wherein they think it's strange that you run not with them. You used to run with me. They even use that expression. Why aren't you running with us anymore? The same, uh, uh, to the same excess of riot speaking evil of you. Who? Those, those folks that you used to run with, they're going to give an account to him, God, that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. They will give an account for their life. I'm going to give an account for my life. They're going to give an account. I'm going to give an account for what I did before I was saved. There's an accounting in these things. But praise the Lord, Jesus wiped out my account. Right? He wiped it out. And if He can wipe my account clean, who else can He wipe clean? He can wipe anybody's account clean. If He can wipe my account clean, my account was large. He wiped it out. He brought the the debt to zero. Right? If He can do that for me, He can do it for anyone. And so in verse 6, He brings it to a head. For, for this cause was the Gospel preached also to them that are dead. Now does that mean that as Christians we ought to go to the, the Wood River graveyard over here maybe tonight 
we'll take Halloween. Let's go over there. That seems appropriate. We'll go find the graveyard on Halloween and uh, we'll start preaching to the graves. No! We're dead in sins. <laughs> Your friend who's making fun of you, denigrating you, speaking evil of you because you won't run with them anymore, they're dead. But there's a way to life. It's through the gospel. For this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. And where the gospel is believed, where the gospel is believed, we live according to God in the Spirit. Amen? If you say you're a Christian, And yet you love the revelings. I would propose to you that you're not a Christian. Because this passage is telling us that rather than live for the revelings, we live for God in order that those who are reveling before us and making fun of us because we don't anymore might be saved. You with me? Does that make sense? They were going through it in Peter's day. We go through it today. By the way, those who say the Scripture has no application is old fuddy-duddy stuff. That was good for them 2,000 years ago, but it doesn't apply to us today. They aren't reading it. (laughs) Because exactly what is happening here is happening today. School is in session at URI. We can go down to Narragansett today and see if it's not true. Right? The liquor stores are open. Even on Sunday now, I think they're open till 6. And you can believe it. Football is just another reason to get drunk. And to rebel. And to get as many involved. I remember being saved and... I had just gotten saved, 19 years old, came home from school. The only thing we ever did of any value was, or, or of anything, not value, there's no value, but we'd party. And so my buddies got a hold of me and said, well, you know, we're, we're going here Friday night. And I said, well, I, yeah, I'll come. I went and sat on the couch, watched my friends as they got drunker and drunker. I stopped drinking. I, I stopped drinking. And, and I don't look back and think that... I, I can't even remember there being a conscious decision saying, I can't drink anymore. I'm a Christian now. I, I just was what I became. I wasn't going to be a drunk like I was anymore. I remember going and sitting on the couch and in these dirty basements like we would. And I remember a friend of mine coming and sitting next to me and said, here's a beer. I said, no, thank you. And we talked for a while and he said, man, you've changed. Amen. Amen. He said, I don't know if we want you here anymore. And I didn't get invited to those things. I, I, all I did was sit on the couch. I did not stand up on the couch and take a Bible and open it. And begin to preach the gospel. I just sat there. And I talked to him. And I told him why I wouldn't drink. 
I told him who Jesus was. And he just didn't want to hear it. And I understand I didn't want to hear it for a long time. I still find myself praying for him here and there. But as God wanted me, so he wants him. And so he wants your friend, your family member. Christ died for them. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Tonight, before we leave, let's not leave without taking a moment to think back to, to our past. Now you may be here today and say, I, you know, my past is not filled with what you went through in your life. I grew up in a Christian home. I didn't, I didn't do all that. My friends weren't drunks. Here's the thing. You have friends who are not saved. They may be very nice people and never were drunks or swearers or any of that stuff, but they're not saved. Somebody needs to pray for them. That somebody is you right now. And so in the quietness of the moment, let's pray and ask God to work in that those people's lives. Name them to the Lord now. And we'll close in a moment.